Hey, this is Rod Cleef, and you are listening to the Mailbox Money Show with Bronson Hill. This is the Mailbox Money Podcast, and I am Bronson Hill. As a busy professional, I wrestled with how to grow my income without taking up more of my precious time. I learned that managing real estate, actively trading stocks, or being unable to scale up investments is not passive investing. This is the place where you'll discover new asset classes, develop investing skills, and learn from experts how to become financially free with less work than you thought possible. And now, get ready for truly passive income. All right, so Patrick Grimes, great guy, raised tons of money for real estate, for alternative assets. We get into this interview about the new rules and kind of what's happening in multifamily today and why you should consider looking outside of multifamily. He talks about debt funds and acquisition fund. He's got different things that he's doing. And I think it's really important that investors have a place to park cash where they're staying ahead of inflation. So that's what we get into on this episode. Let's jump in. All right. Welcome to the Mailbox Money Show. I've got a great friend with me, Patrick Grimes, who we've been friends for the last four or five years. I've actually just at his house this weekend celebrating his son's birthday. And he lives in a beautiful place right on the water in Southern California. And uh, excited to have you here, Patrick. How are you doing? Bronson, doing well. Excited to be on your show again. I think this is round two for me, so I'm feeling extra special today. Plus, I got to see you yesterday, so a lot of Bronson. Yeah, yeah, it's for sure, man. It's, it was quite a fun party for your son. You had a snow machine there, and you had a pizza maker and all kinds of fun stuff. It was like a like a circus carnival in a good way. It was a lot of fun. So um, awesome, man. Well, we've been buddies for a while. I know you're somebody I, I connect with a lot and respect a lot of your opinion. Um, you know, we've we've done deals together. We've been, you know, talking about, we've kind of, you know, we talk quite a bit. Um, let's, let's just talk for folks. Like what, what, what are you seeing uh, kind of multifamily state of the union? And we've, we've, we're kind of a very different place than we were a couple of years ago. Uh, why don't you give us an update on kind of how you're seeing it and kind of the, the, the threats and the opportunities you see? Yeah. So it is the case that kind of the playbook from three years ago, five, 10 years ago, just isn't penciling like it used to be. And the buzz is all around interest rates, but that's actually only one piece of it. You know, we've seen distress in commercial real estate overall and in multifamily because of interest rates compounded with a number of other factors. And when interest rates rise, valuations wane, they start to lower. And that means it's harder to sell it your hoped valuation. Meanwhile, it's hard to refinance if you're in the middle of a project and things are a little bit slower. We've seen expenses grow aside from interest rates. Well, inflation has driven as a product of COVID. Inflation's been growing, which drives payroll. It drives our material costs. And those are some of the biggest expenses. Uh, natural disasters, especially in some of the markets that are typically more favorable in the southeastern states in Texas, we've seen those raised by 30%. And we underwrote conservatively five oftentimes, you know, and that would be a very conservative number. On top of all of that, taxes, and we still have some lingering issues from COVID, which are eviction backlogs. And right now in Atlanta, there's 12,000 evictions hung up in the courts. It can take up to 15 months to get somebody out when they stop paying. Can you imagine running a store where the people can just fill up their cart? every day for a month. And it's like, you're complaining to the sheriff and 16 months later, they're finally showing up to tell that guy they can't come in anymore. It's what's bizarre. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is an interesting time. Things have changed. And, uh, you know, you said costs have gone up, interest rates have changed. And of course, the bridge debt versus fixed debt, um, you know, people that had fixed debt or were able to get a fixed debt uh, before rates rose was was was, was a very smart move. Um, so, you know, I wonder what I really want to talk about today, too, is, um, you know, you and I both the last couple of years, last year and a half, have shifted to do a lot of different things. You know, oil and gas, we're doing ATMs, you're doing, uh, you have a couple of different funds you're doing and debt and acquisition type of funds. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about kind of what place, you just talk a little bit about that, like what places that have an investor's portfolio and uh, what are, you know, what are some of the, like, I, I know these, the debt fund is one thing and acquisition fund is another thing. So maybe you just take a few couple of minutes on each one and just kind of explain kind of how that works and why you like that. Field. Right. So stepping into this this year, we decided to retool. And I went through 2009, as, as Bronson knows, and I was heavily indexed in a new development and I lost everything during that time, the global financial crisis. So stepping into a recession, I'm looking for that opportunity, how to get the upside of downturns. And there really is, there's multiple ways to invest in real estate and debt is one and equity is another. Those are two different things and we call it a capital stack because you're capitalizing a property and the debt's kind of at the bottom and the equity's at the top. Now, since equity's at the bottom, they have the first position, they're much safer. Uh, typically the returns are lower and equity's at the top, they have unlimited upside, right? You can win a lot, you can also lose a lot, right? So mm-hmm. turns are, are reasonably higher. Well, it happens to be that Right now, in a time in a recession, a lot of investors are seeking to invest lower on the capital stack for lower risk returns. Now, what's beneficial about rising interest rates is that lower risk position, the debt side, instead of six, seven, or eight percent on a commercial asset like a multifamily property or retail strip mall, you're going to get eight or nine or 10 percent. And because the banks are struggling, and they're kind of liquidity crunch for having issues with their bonds and deposits are leaving. We can do nine, 10 or 11% or 12. Some of our loans are 13. So we're seeing a lot of movement towards what were equity investors before moving into debt because it can be in a first lower risk position, but still pocket high returns and immediate cash flow. Not a ton of upside, kind of capped on the upside. So you're seeing a little bit of emotion that way. And so there's really that, if you look at the Tiger 21 allocation of, you know, that, that they're a group of high net worth individuals, uh, you actually see fixed income is actually a part of a healthy portfolio. Yeah. Not everything has to be tax advantaged, right? Right. Yeah, well, no, and it, it's, it's actually a really good point because, um, you know, this is where now fixed income is actually starting to become uh, attractive again. So there are bonds, there are, are T-bills and treasuries that are paying five, 6% now. And so this basically pays, you know, these will pay more than that, but they'll be backed by real estate and they'll be in first position and things like that, which I think is really interesting because, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's really, when you have money coming in, it's interesting, the investments we have that are uh, higher upside or higher appreciation, um, some of those haven't performed as, as hoped. And the ones that are just steady cash flow, uh, it's been really nice because you just get that steady cash flow. And some of these uh, debt funds as well, they allow, not only are they in kind of a first or higher position for sec- second position ahead of equity, um, they also 
you know, they, they allow for cash flow, but they, they're more liquid. Some of these are, they have some liquidity uh, components. Can you talk a little bit about kind of just, I know the, the way we're not, you know, obviously pitching a specific deal, but how, how are some of these structured where they're kind of like 90 days versus up to two, three years? I mean, there's different ranges of that. And then you get a higher if you lock it up longer. That's, but it's kind of nice for an investor to park some money. If you're like, I don't know what to do right now. I think I'll put it here. Right. Yeah. Carrying the dead conversation forward, there's really two problems that investors are looking to solve. They're looking to take that money they were stashed away in a bank account, a CD, a retirement account, brokerage account, whatever. They're they're worried about spending it right now. They don't know where to invest it. And they know they're losing with inflation. So maybe they're trying to find a high yield interest uh, a savings account, money market account. Well, it's still only giving you 5%. So where can they put it right now and beat inflation, but still be within reach, a short throw of it? And so there's 90 day notes. You can just like in CDs where you can invest for short periods of time and senior secured notes and debt, you can invest for 90 days or half a year or a year. And of course your fixed income return is lower respectively, but that solves the problem. Hey, you've got some money, just put it you know, aside and wait for that next bigger investment. Meanwhile, you're beating inflation or there's the, hey, I need an allocation of my portfolio that is in a lower risk, not a ton of upside, but a lower risk position, but happens to be a high return. And you know, some of these debt funds are returning north of 10%, north of 15% right now because of how advantageous the market is to be mm -hmm. a debt investor. Those are kind of analogous to the equity investments like two or three years ago. So yeah, right. you know, although you're it's all about downside protection, but even the returns, if you can lock it up for three years. We're seeing, we're seeing equity investors move their funds away from equity and into debt because they see that lower risk profile uh, immediately realized annualized monthly payments. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big deal. And that's the thing too, I think people um, often don't consider is just, you know, for what, uh, even like the Tiger 21 example of, of these high net worth individuals, there's, there's a certain percentage of your portfolio you can put to different things. So some will be like, we do some like five or 10% of my portfolio is higher risk, you know, things that are 10 to hundred X type of things. Right. But I know that most of those will probably go to zero, but there's a, there's a part of my portfolio. Not everybody does that. I do that. Other ones are saying, well, Hey, at my age, and you know, if you're over the age of 75 or something and you're, or 65, whatever age it is, and you just need steady income and, you know, something like this could be great, just even as a, something to hold for a bit longer. So, um, but I, I think it's really in my eyes, the last couple of years, just the benefits of being a debt investor <clears throat> or being an equity investor at times, right. Or having some, some debt investments because of the higher, position in the stack. Um, can you talk a little bit about the acquisition fund that you mentioned? Right. And so the really good points there, Bronson, you nailed it. And Tiger 21 actually has a 7% allocation for fixed income. And it's funny because the wealthier you get, you don't necessarily need to invest in all tax advantaged assets. Sometimes you just need an allocation to know you have some income coming in when the market falls. And so uh, really, so as a and mostly we've been in acquisitions, right? That's where about, about 5,000 units in multifamily, you get some oil and gas. And so our pipeline of deals of distressed operators owning performing assets, cash flowing assets, but they're financially distressed for all the reasons we described. They overpaid, they didn't get long enough uh, terms on their loan and it's coming due at a time when all these costs are higher and they haven't been able to execute on their renovation strategy because 
COVID or they ran out of money because of inflation, whatever it is, there's a million reasons why they'd be holding these performing assets and they just, they need out. Now, we in that pipeline that we have, we've seen two things happen. One, some operators are like, no, this is a great asset. I just need a transaction gap or bridge loan to get over the hump, right? And that's where the debt fund comes in. And on the other side, it's, hey, look, I'm out. I, I want out. And the acquisition fund comes in and says, okay, we're going to purchase it from you. It's not going to be at the same price or basis that you probably bought it at, but we can move quickly. And in those acquisitions funds, in a time like now, if you look back in 2009 and 10, the people that made billions, they bought when you could buy right and make your return on the buy. Yeah. And that means you bought at a great basis. It didn't mean that you bought and hoped to get a return for three to five and five to seven years. And so what we're seeing is that in the acquisitions fund, in the acquisitions side today, and I just published an article you know, the upside of downturns, recessionary acquisitions, it's really about making that return on the buy. But when you hold my crystal ball, I mean, I'm the engineer that's the analyst and you're a tech guy too. My, I don't know what valuations are going to do. All I do know that the calculus of here's a bunch of capital improvements to try and increase rents or occupancy to try and get a buy, bigger valuation that's not paying out right now. And so instead of holding, we're acquiring all in cash very quickly and pulling out capital, buying another one, and then 1031 exchanging forward. And we're going to buy as many times as we can. And each time you buy, you stair step up your equity as opposed to holding and hoping and wondering what's going to happen. And and, and then the, the benefit of that is if we were doing what we did five, 10 years ago, we would be putting investors capital in one deal and holding it in one deal for three to five years. And we miss this entire buying window, which is the second most exciting buying window of my life. I missed (laughs) the first one because I was being raked over the coals, but I'm not going to miss the second one. And we're cycling through an acquisition after acquisition, doing as much as we can while the buying's hot is what we're doing. So Warren Buffett, we quote him a lot on this show is, you know, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. And not that it's necessarily a good opinion all the time to be fearful or greedy, but um, you know, in general, there are opportunities all the time. And often, when we are most afraid, and it, you know, these things don't happen in a vacuum, right? It's like, oh, rates are down, and a deal struggling. And it's, I don't know, like, should I invest? If especially if people have gotten pinched, I talked to one investor that had five multifamily deals that were in uh, capital call situations, right? Just very challenging. So you know, but at that time when okay, maybe, I don't know, I'm kind of getting pinched on somebody's multifamily stuff. Maybe it's a great time to consider getting involved in multifamily in a level because that's when deals are available. And again, when interest rates are higher, there are opportunities. And so you brought up the the debt fund, the acquisition fund. There's also new uh, things to be able to acquire in a time when most people are afraid. And so, you know, Warren Buffett talks about the best uh, quality investors have is, is a temperament, you know, having the right temperament, you, to, you, just, you don't get frazzled, you don't you know, chicken little, the sky is falling or something. Um, how do investors, um, I guess, I guess, how should they plan going forward? Do you think multifamily will uh, get more attractive than it is now? Do you think rates will come down? Like, what do you think are just good options uh, beyond the couple of <laughs> things? You know, I think it's very smart, the, the, the funds that you've set up, the debt fund, the acquisition fund, but what, what are some other things you think investors should consider or, or just be aware of right now? Well, 
I think if you're not investing in the strategies of yesteryear, right? You're not investing in the strategies of like the buy and hope, prove and hold. I think multifamily is very exciting right now. I'd stay away from office, but I think retail and there's a bunch of really great buys right now. And if you find the right opportunity that's looking to win from the upside of a downturn, um, or, you know, then I think it's absolutely a great time. Do I think rates will go up? I don't think they're going to skyrocket larger macroeconomic data suggests that it's not the cost of interest rate caps is already starting to decrease the fed's signaling that it's not and we've seen inflation begin to level off and while the fed says they're going to you know they're they initially said they're going to continue to raise rates until inflation gets to 2% uh, they've also said there's a neutral percentage that they're going to get it to when they stop raising rates. And what we've seen is that they've already signaled rates are going to level off. Now, I, I'm, I don't like betting on what the what the Fed's going to do. And I've, I've bet before on markets, leveraged huge, gone all in, and lost everything back in 2009 and 10. Right. That's why, you know, I typically think if you're worried and you're sitting on the sidelines, you've got a bunch of money in the bank and you're worried, put it in some kind of senior secured or debt first position investment with low loan to value. I mean, you think about a 50% loan to value loan, if the market wanes by 15%, then the equity investors lost 32%, but the debt investors lost zero. And if you can pocket high returns, that's a way to ride this out. If I don't like necessarily be fe fearful when others are greedy. And I challenge, I don't think Warren Buffett was ever fearful or greedy. I think he was, he's just an analyst, right? He's yeah. boring analyst. He was probably like me and you, an engineer just, you know, just went back and did the an analyst and analyze and decided, hey, there's some good buying opportunities. And aside by the greedy and fearful, if you can come to grips with the fact that you may miss potentially the second best buying opportunity uh, and you can move and you can buy right, uh, then I think now's the time to actually pounce on those opportunities in real yeah. estate. And even yeah. though they're all assets, this is the exciting time for real estate, both debt and equity. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it is a, uh, there's the idea of being a contrarian. I talk about this in my book a little bit about, you know, being a contrarian investor that uh, if you just simply follow the crowd, um, you're just, you're going to jump in in times that are not necessarily uh, you know, the best times I, I kind of look back on this, I try to reflect on investing and think about, you know, there were times where it was like the easiest to invest. Or it was easiest to like find investors, right? Like it was just like everybody wanted a couple of years. It was, just, it was, it was easier, but it probably like was a time there, there was more risk in the market than what we really saw versus now it would actually be a lower risk time because some of the risk has been taken out that the cap rates are higher or the interest rates are higher. Things have to cash flow. Um, it, it's actually a better time, I believe, to be involved. Um, what are some things that you uh, you focus on? Are there uh, indicators that you look at of just, you know, if somebody wants to kind of be in the know of what's happening now, what are, what are some kind of things people should consider, um, you know, just paying attention to, I guess, as things are changing? Well, I guess it depends on what perspective we're we're looking at. Yeah, so I think yeah, you're right. It does depend, you know, who and and you know what what perspective. But I just think as a passive investor, you know, the goal really is not, you know, hey, I, I'm 
I think as a good passive, it's not just, hey, I only do multifamily or only do this. It's, hey, I have this money and how do I get a good return? How do I preserve what I have? So what are some considerations when it comes to that? Well, so when it comes to investing in the upside of downturns, right? That That is where I think the investor should be focused. It shouldn't be sitting on the sidelines, losing with inflation right now. It's how do you win for the opportunity? And I, I think it all comes back to, and I'm not an all-in real estate guy. I'm actually an all-assets guy. And that's what drew me from my automation robotics, high-end, like leveraged and high-tech into real estate to begin with. And uh, and then all into energy, debt, and other things. So I look, I go back to when I meet with investors, and I'm not a financial planner like you used to be, Bronson, or a CPA or attorney, but you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And I look back at the data, which suggests, you know, here's how the middle class, high income, and ultra wealthier investing. And we allocation strategies is really where you want to be. And 25 to 50% of portfolios in the high income and ultra wealthy are in alt assets, right? And alt assets is in real estate and private equity. The Tiger 21, 26% is in real estate and 27 in private equity. And then there's seven in fixed income, four six percent in cash. And so what I do is I typically look at investors and we have, have a conversation. And while I don't guide them, I say, well, let's compare to some of the benchmarks that are out there. And what that typically leads to is a conversation of, okay, let's take certain percentage of your wealth and let's put it into a short-term note, right? A short-term note, maybe 90 days. It means you're 90 days away from it at any given time or six months, right? And that provides immediate fixed income that can compound or let's put a percentage of it, like you said, in higher in higher equity, which are buying in a downturn for potential very high returns, right? Uh, equity plays and let's put some into a longer term um, debt position. And then we look at alt assets, right? And you and I both have different alt assets. We actually have a completely new alt asset coming out next year, which I'm not going to talk about yet, but you can have me on a third time. We'll talk about that. But the alt assets, there are incredible ones, which Bronson's involved in some great ones that are very much hedged against recessions, provide outsized returns in recessions, both tax advantaged cash flow and appreciation. And uh, we explore options such as those. And that's what led us into energy, uh, which is a different asset as well that provides for that ordinary income loss. So it, it's a very much a specific conversation that I have. And it's what I get to do. I love talking to investors and kind of guiding them on what I would do in their situation. I can't give advice, <laughs> as, you know, but uh, it's very specific in those ways. Uh, yeah, we don't give any advice here, of course. Um, but yeah, that that's really good, man. Well, I, I admire you. I think we had you on the last, I think it was a couple of years ago, we had you on the show and you, um, we met, I think it was 2018, 2019. And you just like, you had a full-time job and you just started like going, like taking more gangbusters action than anybody I'd seen as far as going after raising money for deals. And you raised something, it was like initially like 10 million in 10 months, or it was like some crazy 15, it was some big amount. And now you're raising a lot more than that. And but um, I guess when it comes to, because I look at that as very much a personal development thing, right? You went, you had a goal and you went after it. And so I guess what's something like from a mindset perspective 
that you would tell people, hey, here's one thing that really helped me in the area of mindset that helped me to be such a big achiever and now do all these big deals and and be able to fire myself and leave my job and just do, you know, all the things that you want to do? Uh, well, so just backing up before that, unsuspecting to Bronson as I had already developed this large single family portfolio, I had already done development and I had been doing machine design automation and robotics, which are large uh, innovation projects, much higher risk profile and working with accredited executives. And so my, my take on multifamily was this was another application of, you know, similar kind of business models to what I had done, but at much lower risk and cash flowing and tax advantage. So when I stepped on the scene and said, Bronson, I'm going to buy a bunch of apartment buildings. <laughs> he didn't see the comment that I was, I was actually going to go buy a bunch of apartment buildings after that. So, but yeah, yeah it was really great to work with Bronson, see him, him grow and us do it together. Yeah. Well, it's fun to see, um, you know, I think there's a point, and like you said, you know, we don't have to just simply leave your previous experience at the door. You had all this experience, and I've seen it too with your automations background that you've been able to automate a lot of things in your business, which is amazing. Everybody who owns a business, it's like that's a great thing to be able to create a self-managing company that kind of has people and systems that kind of take care of things for you. So you had all that stuff you're able to bring. But then the other thing too is Tony Robbins has a saying. He says it's in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped, right? So you made a decision, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to full board. And um, you just, you went 110% That's true. after it. Mm -hmm. And it was really amazing to watch, man. So being your friend and watching you go through that is just really fun to see you just just go out there and do it and, and really, you know, uh, you just, just do an awesome job, man. So I want to just really acknowledge you for um, everything you're, you're bringing to the you know, financial space, to uh, uh, to my life, to, to people and investors, and the content of your, your multiple, you've authored multiple books. Um, so I just want to say thank you for, for all the stuff you've added. Um, how can people get in touch with you and, and follow what it is you're doing, brother? Well, first of all, Bronson, I'm just barely in your footsteps here with the content and the books. Looking with your book, I got, thank you for signing. I've got your book right here and mine signed so everybody can be super jealous about that. So I'm pretty proud of that. And if you are interested in my my lowly old book, I Persistence, Pivots, and Game Changers, uh, you can have a copy of that. We I purchased a bunch. I it's got a lot of great stories. Phil Collin, lead guitarist at Def Leppard, NFL, NBA players, and and I did a chapter. I tell my whole story, and it talks about the journey, high tech development, losing it all, coming back, single family, multifamily, energy, all kinds of stuff, and. We give out a copy of that. And so if you would like to um, have a copy and, and follow us, you go to a passive investing mastery, passive investing and then mastery.com slash book. And just say that you uh, mailbox money in the promo code and that you heard about us there. And make sure you put that promo code in though, because we don't just, and I sign them and I send them out. So happy to. To share that with you. If anybody wants to have a conversation, you go to Passive Investing Mastery and my calendar's right there on the homepage. It's since I'm full-time in real estate and left the engineering stuff behind, although I'm still a geek at art, I am full-time and have been for a number of years now. And um, But I love talking to investors. It's part of the joy is being able to work with people like Bronson as well as serve investors out there and then do good in the world and in our investment products. So I look forward to have that conversation. And if you're interested in any investments, we, we have a couple open right now.
Awesome, man. Well, I just want to appreciate you for coming on the show today and I encourage everybody to reach out to Patrick. Great guy doing a great job in the investing space. And uh, thanks again, brother, for being here. I just want to encourage everybody to reach out to Bronson. Great guys in the investing space doing really good stuff. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Bronson. I, I pay you to say that. We just, we just talk well of each other. <laughs> thanks, All right. Appreciate you, man. Bye. All right. So my good buddy, Patrick, hopefully you enjoyed that interview. Uh, really love talking with Patrick. I always learned something when I talk with him and uh, just really um, appreciate, you know, one thing I, I liked about that interview kind of overall was uh, kind of what I was com commenting about, about that you can bring your past skills into real estate. So like for people that own a business, uh, a lot of times they've managed budgets, they've looked at numbers, they've uh, done all these things or somebody's a physician, they have certain clinical or skills that are applicable that they've learned a certain thing that you can bring those same skills of learning or the same skills of applying those things, not just to a medical profession or to a business, you can bring those into real estate. So there's a lot of carryover from, uh, from life into real estate, even being a passive investor. We talk about mailbox money, talk about firing yourself back behind me here in my new book. Um, you know, it's important to continue to develop your skills and it's important to realize what skills you have and really where you fit in that. So some people start and they passively invest. Some people find deals. Some people do like what I did and raise capital for deals and get involved in different ways. So uh, my hope for you is that you got some value out of this and you are able to fire yourself or at least get started in passive investing. Uh, check us out on social media. If you haven't joined our investor club, go to bronstonequity.com. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Mailbox Money Show. You've been listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast. For more free resources, articles, and videos, go to bronsonequity.com. There you can download your copy of the special report, The Single Best Investment Strategy During and After a Pandemic. None of the information shared here is an offer to buy a specific investment, and this is for educational purposes only. Consult your financial, legal, and tax professionals and use your own common sense before making any investment decisions. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to tune next time for more Mailbox Money.